Hi, I'm Jonathan Pennington, and this is the Human Flourishing Podcast. This podcast is a repository of a wide variety of sermons, lectures, interviews, and other resources that I've recorded over the years. Today's episode is a sermon I preached at Sojourn East in Louisville, Kentucky. Today's scripture comes from Genesis 2, Ecclesiastes 4, and Colossians 3. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hey, good morning, friends. I would really encourage you. I think that affordable Christmas is such a great thing uh, to go to that Amazon click list, not during the sermon, but after that, uh, you can do that. We really encourage you to be a part of that. You know, back in 2019, the healthcare company Cigna did a survey of 20,000 Americans to gauge a number of things related to mental and physical health and particularly regarding loneliness. And what they found was when they ask people, how often do you or who or do you often feel alone or lonely? Often feel alone or lonely? The answer is 47% of Americans felt that. And 13% of Americans said that there are zero people who know them well. Zero people. 13% of people. That there, there's a lot of people that are lonely and a lot of people feel lonely a lot of the time. But it's not just in the U.S. They did a similar survey in the United Kingdom, and they found that 41% of Britons said that the television or a pet is their main source of company. And in Japan, the government did a study and found that over the course of six months, there were half a million people that had no outside contact with any other person. And remember, this is 2019. This is before the pandemic, which by all accounts exacerbated our sense of aloneness and loneliness, especially for the elderly and the sick. As many people have observed, we don't just have a pandemic that's gone on of viruses, but of actually loneliness itself. One researcher evaluating the effects, the physical effects of loneliness on us said that it's equivalent basically to, to smoking 15 cigarettes a day and the health risks of, are basically the same thing as being an alcoholic. And the Surgeon General said this, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. Because it has a massive effect on who we are. Do you ever feel lonely? Do you ever feel left out. I think if you're honest, some of us probably do more than others based on family of origin and maybe personality type or habits or marital status or age. I often feel lonely. I'm very aware, even though on the outside, I'm not lonely. I have a faithful wife Six kids. In fact, sometimes I wonder if that's why I had six kids, <laughs> because I was didn't want to be lonely. 
tons of friends, tons of students, but I'm often haunted by a pervasive sense of being alone that I think goes back to my own childhood where I was alone very much. Maybe that's your experience, or maybe, if you're honest, maybe you've designed your life so that you won't feel lonely. Maybe you have a ton of people around you all the time. You avoid ever being by yourself because you don't want to pay attention to what's inside and really have that devastating feeling of loneliness. Well, that's understandable. Because while some solitude and silence is good for all of us, overall, the reality is it is not good for humans to be alone. From infancy to the elderly, the negative effects on our mental health and our physical health of being alone are great. And today, we are continuing and nearing the end of our series in Genesis 1 and 2 that we've called Sacred. And the whole point has been that when we look at the origin stories of the Bible, the origin story of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God has made an amazingly good and beautiful world. It's been such a joy to be in this series. And last week, Pastor Kevin talked about marriage. You did a great job talking about marriage. If you weren't here or you didn't get a chance to listen to that, please go back and listen to it. And he talked about how God instituted marriage not only for the propagation of the human species, but also because of that key verse that we just heard Lindsay read, it's not good for the man to be alone. And today, while our text in Genesis 2 is primarily speaking about this special relationship of marriage that can occur between a man and a woman, we wanted to use this opportunity while we're still here in Genesis 1 and 2 to show you and to talk about a biblical truth that's related to that. And is it not only is it not good for the man to be alone, it's actually not good for humans to be alone. In other words, God created humanity, male and female, and in by design, we are created to be communal. We're designed to be in relationships. And marriage, which Genesis 2 is primarily talking about, is a unique and important relationship. But I want you to understand, it's actually just a subset of something larger. The fact that humans need other humans. In fact, if you've thought about this, while marriage is very, very important, the reality is to be married is not fundamental to what it means to be human. I mean, after all, all of us live many years. Even if you get married, you live many years where you're still a full human, where you're not married. And then even though most people in society will probably get married, not everyone, but many will, unless in the very rare instance that the husband and wife die together, the reality is there's going to be a time that even those who are married will no longer be married. Through a whole number of circumstances that can happen, but including death. That even in a long-standing marriage, even that may span most of the decades of your life, the odds are one of you is going to bury the other. And some of you are sitting in that grief right now. Many of you have experienced that grief. And from what we can tell in the Bible, that in the new creation, when God recreates the world and his redeemed people live in a new way in the new creation, marriage is not going to exist in the same way that it does now. It becomes a picture of the relationship of God's people with God himself 
in Christ. And so we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but there is going to be a time coming when marriage as we know it ceases. So all that to say, marriage is wonderful and beautiful and good and important, but it's really only a temporary subset or a subspecies of something more fundamental about what it means to be human, and that is that we need other people. We need each other. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk with you about how Scripture and how God speaks about our need for community and friendship. And I want to do it under three headings, God's design for community, the dangerous community, and then the doing of community. So first, what is the design, according to God, as revealed in Holy Scripture, the design for us as people in community? Well, as we've seen in Genesis 1 and 2, the amazing thing about the creation account is that, again, Everything God made was good. That's the foundation. The creation itself and humanity is fundamentally good and beautiful. In Genesis 3, we're going to learn that things get really messed up. But what's amazing is that of all the good things in the world, even before the fall, there was one thing that was said not to, that was not good. Even before the fall. And that is for humanity to be alone. And how much more Now, after the fall, when our lives are marked by disappointment and wounds and sin and brokenness, how much more is it true that it's not good for us to be alone, to navigate life? And so what you find is if you read through the Bible, you're going to see a ton of information, a ton of stories about the necessity and the goodness and the beauty of living together in community. And there there are lots of places we could go, but I thought I'd talk with you for a moment about somebody you may not have thought about in this category, and that is the amazing King David. So if you maybe you don't know anything about the Bible, maybe you know a lot about the Bible, but I can explain it really quickly. The most important king in the history of Israel in the Old Testament was King David. He was the one that really brought all of Israel together, united the tribes. He was the one who was a great warrior and a poet who wrote a bunch of our psalms. He was loved and, and, and known as the, as the greatest of all the kings of Israel. It's in his line that Jesus is the son of David. He's the one who captures and builds up Jerusalem, the city that's still to this day, uh, this very important city in the Middle East. This is King David. But what you may not know about his story is that before he became the king, for about 10 years, his life was marked by deep chasms of pain and suffering. Because the former king, King Saul, had proven to be unfaithful to God and was jealous of King David and spent about 10 years chasing David around, trying to kill him while he was running around in the desert. And in a plot twist that is more creative than any Hollywood film, it turns out the key person who helps and rescues David from all of this is King Saul's own son, Jonathan. And what we see in first, first and second Samuel are these stories of this relationship, this friendship between David and Jonathan that is a model for friendships of all time. That God uses this friendship to, to serve one another and to, to really work out his work in the world to help King David become the son, become the, the great king, even though David and Jonathan were from very different backgrounds, different temperaments. Yet what we see is that they loved each other as friends. 
And in fact, in language that we'll later use in wedding ceremonies, Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18 says to David, in him I have found another self. I hope you've experienced that. I hope you've known a friend that you could say, I found another another self. And, and it says that Jonathan loved, Jonathan made a covenant of loyalty with David because he loved him as himself. Now you can imagine in our modern, overly sexualized Freudian world that some modern scholars have completely misinterpreted what's happening with David and Jonathan. You can imagine in what ways, but it's foolish. It, it's totally clueless to read David and Jonathan other than what the Bible's actually saying, that they are modeling a kind of friendship that we all long for. And what's really amazing is that the word that's used to describe the relationship between David and Jonathan is the exact same words that, that word that is used to describe the relationship between God and humanity. Here's your Hebrew word for the day, chesed, chesed, which we translate as covenant faithfulness, or maybe in your Bibles you might see it as steadfast love. That's how God looks at us as humans. He looks at us with this chesed, this covenant faithfulness, this steadfast love that even despite all of our mistakes and failures and rebellion and ignorance and foolishness, he still sets his covenant love upon us and is faithful to us. That's the exact same word that is used to describe the relationship between these friends. And that's God's design, that as God relates and views us, so too we can have relationships of that same kind of covenant faithfulness. It's beautiful. And that leads to the other thing I want to say about God's design for community, is that when you trace that through the Bible and then you get to the church, you get to the New Testament, you get to the people of God united in Christ, what you find is that all of this idea of friendship gets ramped up to the next level. And here's how to understand it. To be a Christian is to be one who has a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection and ascension that provides a covenant for us where we can relate to God and have personal forgiveness of sins. That's for sure. It's clear what the Bible teaches. But that's not the only thing the Bible says. That to be a Christian as a result of that is fundamentally to enter into a new set of relationships. That that's absolutely central to what being a Christian is. It's not only that I have a personal relationship with God of forgiveness of sins. It's that that makes me enter into a community. What the Bible calls the kingdom of God. To enter into life is synonymous in the Bible with entering into the kingdom of God. And what that pictures is that to be a Christian is fundamentally to be one who is in a set of family, neighborly, friend relationships with each other. And then what the Bible does, it not only uses this idea of being neighbors and friends, but it says that when you are united to Christ, when you're a Christian, you are now brothers and sisters. So you see these two images come together to describe what it means to be a Christian, to be in the kingdom of God. You're simultaneously friends and neighbors and brothers and sisters. There's nothing more beautiful and powerful than that. I'm sure you've heard the the saying, blood is thicker than water. 
I always, I don't know why I was thinking of kind of like an Italian mafia accent, I want to say it or something, which I, which I won't attempt on you here. But, the, you know, the families first is what blood is thicker than water means. Blood, family first always, right? Well, there's a blood. The blood of Jesus now makes friends into family. That there is a blood that is thicker than biological ties that we have, that when you become a Christian, your primary identity now is that you are friends and family together in the people of God. And that's the design. To be a Christian is to be, to enter back into what you were designed for and what we lost, which is this covenantal set of friendships. But the reality is that even though that's the design and that we do taste it, there are dangers to this. There are dangers to the community. Even though we're designed for community, we're designed for friendships, they get messed up. But we as Christians, I think, can, can do better and we can be conscious and thoughtful about our community if we will pay attention to what the Bible says some of these dangers are. And I just want to give you two. Two things that are dangerous to the community that promises life. One is, first, a lack of of grace, a lack of grace, because community and friendships are messy. They're imperfect. Sooner or later, we will hurt and disappoint each other. That is the reality. Being in the church doesn't change that. So if you and I want to develop meaningful friendships, we have got to exercise a lot of grace. We've got to be people that are quick to forgive who are willing to overlook offenses, big and small, and who show up in relationships with a lot of oil of grace. Have you had this happen to you? Imagine the scene, maybe you're getting to know another couple and or just another friend, and you go out to dinner, and the topic of conversation turns to something that you disagree on. Maybe it's parenting or politics or whatever it is. I need a third P in there, pasta, whatever it is. You disagree. And you begin to see in your own heart some windows closing, maybe some judgment. And you begin to just kind of pull back. Maybe your smile, it's all fun. Oh, great. It was so great to see you. But you're just pulling back in your heart. And you said, scratch them off my friends list. Or maybe, I'm not thinking, I just had dinner with one of you the other night. I'm not, that was not what happened, just to be clear. <laughs> Dawn to me after the first service, I know who they're going to be here, and I hope they don't think that's, that is not what happened at all, but that could happen. <laughs> but maybe you're developing a relationship with someone else, and it's going well, and then you find that a bunch of people that you're kind of getting to know, maybe they all went to some event together or had some experience together, and you didn't get invited. You feel like a crumpled up piece of paper. <laughs> You feel hurt, and that hurt turns towards resentment and anger. Or maybe you're with, a, you're with a group of people, and someone says something. You're all standing around talking, joking, whatever, and someone says something that paints you in a bad light. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe it wasn't intentional, but it embarrasses you. It shames you. Maybe you get through it. You put on the fake smile. But inside, you are just crushed. And for the next days, even weeks, 
you keep playing that scenario over in your mind and your head and you're getting more wounded and more hardened. Maybe it was this morning. Maybe somebody snubbed you. Maybe somebody didn't give you the attention you felt like you needed or hurt your feelings by something they said, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally. Maybe somebody didn't look you in the eye or was impatient with you. Maybe your spouse, maybe a kid, maybe somebody else. Well, these and a million other situations, friends, are, are going to do happen and happen all the time. That is part of being an imperfect human in relationship with other imperfect humans. Here's the question. What prevents those situations that are going to happen, what prevents you from being isolated and experiencing isolation and loneliness? What, what prevents you from the gears of your heart being ground up? It's the oil of grace. It's being a person whose first impulse is to forgive. It's training yourself to be a person to give another person the benefit of the doubt. It's learning the habit of recognizing that you and I do have done the same thing to other people and to forgive. And I don't think you can find a better description of this from Jesus than what he says in Matthew chapter 7, which, which culminates with what we call the golden rule. Look at these verses. He says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use on others, it will be measured to you. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. <laughs> I don't know if you can do any better wisdom than that. Have you ever said or done anything stupid to hurt someone intentionally or unintentionally? How would you want to be treated in that situation? With grace, with charity, with forgiveness. That's what you want. And Jesus says, you know that. So treat others this way. The only way to live in relationships is with a lot of the oil of grace. Not judging other people's motives, not judging their actions, but treating them again with the same charity and benefit of the doubt that you would want to be treated with yourself. Do you find yourself dwelling on little slights that have been done to you, licking your wounds until they're raw and never heal? Well, by the power of the Spirit, you can grow and learn the habit of not showing up that way. And what I have found, and what I promise to you, is that if you show up with a lot of grace and non-judgmental attitudes towards others, you will find rich and meaningful relationships. If you show up in relationships quick to be upset, quick to be offended, quick to be judgmental, you shouldn't be surprised if you have trouble making deep relationships. I love how the ancient philosopher Seneca says that. He says, do you want to find love? He says, I can teach you a love potion that's made without any drugs, herbs, or special spell. If you want to be loved, love. <laughs> and that's exactly what the Bible says over and over as well. The way to find love is to be a person of love in Christ. Remember, being a Christian in community doesn't mean that we're not going to hurt each other, we're not going to wound each other, we're not going to disappoint each other. We are. It means we have the resources to handle this differently than the world does, to be people of genuine love with the oil of grace. 
So I think that's one danger. And the other danger to our community, not only a lack of grace, but a lack of grit. Community and friendships are messy. They're imperfect. As I said before, sooner or later, we will hurt and disappoint each other. This is real life. What we need is grit. We need stick-to-it-ness. Not being quick to run away and give up. Because disappointment can be so devastating and make us just want to run away. I see this tendency in myself. I have a lot of friends. I'm very open-hearted. I love meeting people. I love connecting with people in a very deep way. But I see in myself a dark side, a shadow side, that if someone hurts me in certain ways, or especially if I lose respect for someone, then it's super easy for me just to completely write them off. Doesn't matter how close they were, even. Again, I'm not thinking of any of you here. (laughs) But I see this tendency in my heart to just put people in this ledger of no more. And of course, there's a time for that. There are toxic, toxic people. There are times in relationships you do need to get out of. Hear me clearly. But most of the time, what most of us need is grit. We need to learn to stick with our relationships. I think something Pastor Kevin said last week about marriage applies to friendships as well, that we have way too high of expectations about that our spouse is going to meet all of our needs, all of our companionship, all of our affection needs. We do, we can do the same thing for friends as well, that we expect that they're going to do that. And when they don't, then we just write them off, but we need to stick with it. When people disappoint us and everyone eventually will, we need grit to stick in relationships. And I love how Joseph Hellerman describes this. A friend sent this to me this week, and I thought I'd share this quote with you. He says, spiritual formation, that is growing as a, as a human, as a Christian person, occurs primarily in the context of community. That's how you grow. You don't primarily grow just individually. You grow in community. People who remain contented with their brothers and sisters in the local church almost invariably grow in self-understanding, and they mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to God and to their fellow human beings. Learning to be contented with that person sitting two pews over who has disappointed you. Learn to be content. This is especially the case for those courageous Christians who stick it out through the often messy process of interpersonal discord and conflict resolution. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. I love this. People who stay grow. You have any conflict with anybody? Maybe here in this room? Maybe you go to the other service so you won't see them? That's normal. Life and growth are to be found by the resources of Christ given to us through the Holy Spirit to have relationships of love and forgiveness. Actual forgiveness, to work through it, to stick to it, to have the grit to work through, to push through the discomfort, to push through the shallowness, to push through the fake smiles, to actually get to the bottom of the thing in, in a posture of love and forgiveness. And when you do that, you find life. You find growth. And this leads to my third and final point, then how do we do community and friendship, the doing of community? Well, if you look over the popular TV shows of the last 25 years or so, 
you'll see that a lot of them picture groups of young adult friends. So whether it's Seinfeld, for the little older crowd in here like us, or whether it's How I Met Your Mother, or of course the show Friends. And they picture this kind of amorphous, pretty heavy dose of TV unreality of these people that don't apparently really work jobs very often, um, but they, and they don't have any kids, and they don't have any financial problems. But besides all that, right, they are living together in these kind of amorphous bonds of friendship, of just kind of based on, I guess, enjoying each other and affinities. And that's good. That's beautiful. I love it. And the Bible certainly, and Christian experience certainly has a lot of place for just enjoying each other. That's a great thing. But the Bible's depiction of friends and friendship is so much deeper and so much more realistic than that. Again, Christianity is a kingdom, a place where you enter into as a full citizen into relationships of love and brotherly and sisterly love and forgiveness. This stratified place where you've got different ethnicities, different genders, different socioeconomic levels, different education levels. You've got all these people together who are now bound together in a beautiful way. And this vision for these relationships together, it's not naive or, or idealistic. There's a recognition all throughout the Bible that we're wounded through relationships and that we find healing through relationships. And so the key, the design again, is that we live in relationships of love. God wants that for you. So what does it really look like? Well, let me give you some wisdom about how to do this kind of community of love. First, Create a, create safe spaces and be a safe person. Be intentional with real, genuine vulnerability of stepping towards others. Be intentional about it. Reach out to people, set up coffee appointments, drop by their house, and then put your phone down and be present to each other. Be present to each other. Ask questions. Don't just talk about yourself, but invite people to share their story, share your own as well, and don't try to fix them. You don't have to be an advice vending machine that's broken open and just pouring out bad candy. I don't know where the analogy is going there, but something. Don't don't be an advice vending machine. Don't try to fix the other person. Create space for people to be vulnerable by being honest and vulnerable yourself, and be safe by not telling their story to anyone else without their permission. It's really hard to do this because we all love to tell stories about each other. But create a space where someone can be honest and vulnerable with you. You're not going to try to fix them and you're going to protect their privacy in that. That's a great way to have real meaningful relationships. Related to that, we should carry each other's burdens. My wife told me about this great image that I want to put up here. I hope you can see it. I love this. This was going around social media, I guess, in recent weeks. And this is a great picture of carrying each other's burdens. I love this idea that at some point or another, all of us are going to be over a pit. But when we are together carrying each other's burdens... I love the little facial feature on the person who's over the pit. But in each case, if we step towards relationships of intentionality, 
we can carry each other's burdens and carry each other through times that every one of us will go through of difficulty and loss. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25, whatever you do to the least of my brothers and sisters, we're actually doing to God. This is not just some kind of good sociological idea. This is a deeply theological truth that as we relate to other people made in God's image, we are honoring and relating to God. And I think part of that then, a great place to do this is in a community group. To be intentional about being in a committed relationship with other people in a CG and actually showing up and going to it, right? Now, in our church, we are never going to be heavy-handed about this. We're never going to say, if you really want to be part of our church, you have to be in a CG. We recognize different you know, life circumstances and situations may make that difficult. We understand that. So we're not going to be heavy handed about it. But let me tell you, it's really hard to have intentional relationships unless you really commit to each other. And that's what a CG can do so well. And so we talk about CGs a lot. Pastor Mo does a great job of running our CG ministry. Many of you are involved. We have CG sinks where we create new groups. Today, after the service, Pastor Mo is going to be in the atrium with some information about CGs. If you're not in a CG and maybe God's leading you to do that, this would be a great day to go connect with Pastor Mo and talk about maybe committing to a group where you can be in relationship with each other. Also, after this service today, if you're newer to our church and you just want to take the first step of connecting, several of the pastors and staff are going to be in the atrium area as well for our our meet and greet. We would love to connect with you. If you're newer to the church, we just would love to you know, shake your hand or fist bump, whatever you prefer, and just meet you and, and begin that connection process with you. Because friends, Sunday morning's great. You should come to church. Coming to church is important. We have amazing musicians and great music, I think decent preaching, and we have a great kids program. This is good, but this is less than one-seventh of your life. It's only a couple hours out of your life, all the other hours you have, And you need more than Sunday morning to live the Christian life well. So whether it's a CG or something else, you need to be in relationships with other people. Teenagers. Let me say something to you today. It's a very hard stage of life for you. And I just exhort you, if you want to have good friends, which you do, don't concentrate on getting good friends. Concentrate on being a good friend. That is the way to find meaningful relationships. And I gave this challenge in the first service, and I'll give it again here to the teenagers. Several of you came up, several of the teenagers came up to me and said, if you will just take three hours this week where you're with a group of your friends and you did not look at your phone the entire time, I will buy you all whatever you want from Quills, even a T-shirt, or whatever you want from Quills Coffee, I will buy for you. If you'll just spend three hours where you don't look at your phone, but talk to each other, it's magical. It's called relationships (laughs) and it's beautiful, right? So I throw that gauntlet down to you and encourage you to do it because I want you to find the life of having meaningful relationships. If your parents text you, definitely respond to that. But besides that, (laughs) put your phone down and relate to each other. Men, I want to say something to you as well. Women tend to do a better job of developing and maintaining vulnerable relationships. They tend to. 
Men tend to not. I watched this great discussion from Ben Sass, a senator from Nebraska, who, who gave these, these great statistics about this, that over the course of our lives, men tend to shed relationships. Most men, as they get older, have fewer and fewer relationships. And this, this amazing statistic. If you ask adult men who their best friend is, 60% will say their wife. If you ask adult married women who their best friend is, only 29% will say it's their husband. So, <laughs> so men, I've got some bad news for you. You think your wife is your best friend, but it turns out she has a lot of other friends besides you. And that's good. And that's natural. Okay. So what that means is, men, you have to be really, really intentional to be vulnerable with other guys. And I would encourage you, one way to do that is to get involved in our men's ministry. Come to our quarterly connection nights. Come to our Bible studies that we have. Just get connected with other guys, men. You really need that naturally to flourish. And single people? I've already said a little bit about this in terms of this sort of sense that marriage is not who we are fundamentally, but single people, and especially those who are relating to single people in our church, single people, you have a unique opportunity to know the depths of that David and Jonathan kind of friendship, same gender or cross-gender, but it's a struggle. And this past week, I was speaking with someone not in our church who's a friend, uh, who's a very successful woman, uh, middle-aged woman, and she has been single for a long time, and she said something that was devastating to me, just haunting. She said, in all the circles she runs in, and she's very professional, you know, successful person, in all the different things she does in her life, the hardest place to be a single person is actually in church. That was really, that was really hard to hear, but I think it's really true. And so single people, I want to honor you, whether it's single by you've just never been married, maybe you're a widow or widower, maybe a divorcee, whatever it is. I want to say you are valuable and you have a lot to offer. And let me say to all the people who are not single, be involved and invite single people into your life. Some of you do this really well already, but most of us don't. Single people have so much to offer so much to offer each other and all of our relationships. So can we do better on that? Can I exhort you to do better on that as a church to be deeply integrated relationships, whether no matter your marital status? Now to conclude this, let me just rehearse for you a little, a little story that I reread this week from Malcolm Gladwell, some of you may have seen his book, Outliers, which has all these interesting stories in it. And he, he tells the story of this group of Italian immigrants who end up settling in what they call Rosetto, Pennsylvania. And basically at the end of the 19th century and into the early 20th century, from this one place in Italy, about 100 miles, 100 miles southeast of Rome, a bunch of immigrants came and ended up settling in this one place in Pennsylvania. And basically, they recreated this Italian town there on the hills of Pennsylvania. And you could hear Italian speaking and you know, spoken all the time. And it's basically they recreate this, this place of life. Well, what's really significant about it is that in the 1960s, due to kind of a coincidence, 
the medical community realized there was something really mysterious about this one particular town of Italian immigrants in Pennsylvania. And that is that despite the fact that they ate, they cooked almost everything with lard and they ate lots of pasta and drank tons of wine and were struggling with obesity, all these things, the entire community had almost no incidences of heart disease, ulcers, suicide, drug addiction, uh, alcoholism, almost none of that. They had, it was like this, like this bubble over them. So they began to research. Why is this? Like, is it some genetic strain or something? No, they found same other people from that same area and the same genetic kind of line that didn't, that didn't have those same sort of statistical anomalies. And so they began to look into what, what is up with Rosetta, Pennsylvania? And what they found was that these people had learned to live in a profound way, in community with each other. They had extended family clans with often three generations living under one roof, great respect for the elderly among them. They all went to mass together. There were tons of civic organizations to help each other. They had a cultural ethos where the wealthier people were discouraged from flaunting that and the people in need were helped. And most of all, they spent a ton of time in each other's houses eating unhealthy meals together. (laughs) But because of that profound community they had created, they had almost no mental and physical problems. Friends, what a beautiful little picture of what can be true for those in Christ in the church. And even more than that, to actually have the power of the Spirit to help us learn to live in relationships of love and forgiveness and grit. It's a beautiful little picture of God's design for us as humans because it is not good for the human to be alone. And so in Christ, God has provided a way, and I'm exhorting you and inviting you to learn to step into these meaningful relationships together in the kingdom of God. Let me pray for us. Thank you for listening to the Human Flourishing Podcast. To learn more or get in touch with me, visit my website, jonathanpennington.com.